Hello, this is Chris, and for the next hour, I'll be reading from the April 4th through 6th editions of the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Let's start with news. Fire levels Strikersville Barn. Brian Quinn, Strikersville. Wyoming County investigators Monday were looking into cause and origin of the blaze that destroyed a Holland Road barn that morning. The unattached barn collapsed during the fire, but no people or animals were inside, Wyoming County Fire EMS Coordinator Bill Stryker said. A two-and-a-half-story house at 369 Holland Road was damaged but did not catch fire. Property owner Carolyn Raisin can still live there, Stryker said. Strikersville Fire Chief Eric Kirsch was the first on scene, Stryker said. It was a totally involved structure fire. The fire EMS coordinator said of the 40-foot by 60-foot barn, it went to a third alarm quickly. The house was about 100 feet away. The original call about the fire came in at 7.16 a.m. Kirsch got to the scene about five minutes after being dispatched, Stryker said. The downstairs was going to be a shop, and the second floor was going to be a living area. It was nearing completion. There was a 2,400-square-foot apartment above it, he said. Heat melted the siding on the house that was closest to the barn. They were able to cool the house down at the same time as applying water to the fire, Stryker said. He said it took about two hours to get the fire under control. The equipment lost in the fire included a large number of tools, a 1953 Chevrolet pickup truck, and a four-wheeler and UTV that were side-by-side. A passerby called it in. This home and barn were 2,500 feet off the road. The passerby reported it and tried awakening the person living there. He finally was able to alert the resident, Stryker said. Strikersville, Sheldon, North Java, Arcade, and Holland firefighters responded to the scene as did Wyoming Correctional Firefighters, Stryker's Office, the Wyoming County Sheriff's Office, and NYSEG responded as well. Harris Corners firefighters were on standby. Thunderstorm shatters tree in Pavilion. Ben Beagle. A powerful thunderstorm that passed through the area in the early morning hours of Saturday may have gone unnoticed by many, but not Roger Beale of Hawks Road. Lightning struck a large poplar tree roadside, splintering pieces of bark and shards of white wood along a 75-foot stretch of road. All the house shook. I sat right up in bed, Beale said Saturday morning. At first, he thought lightning may have struck the high-voltage lines that run through fields nearby, or perhaps his barn behind his home. He said the home lost power, but otherwise all seemed okay. The strike occurred about 2.45 a.m. Later that morning, Beale left home and as he got to the end of the driveway, could see the debris littering the roadway. As he turned out of his driveway and down Hawks Road toward Roanoke Road, he could see the tree that had been stripped of its bark. The lightning strike, Beale said, blew it apart like splinters. The tree was estimated at 60 to 70 feet high, and the lightning strike had stripped the trunk of 25 to 30 feet of bark. The tree remained standing, but Beale alerted Pavilion Highway Superintendent Jamie Cleveland. Cleveland visited the scene Saturday morning. He said the highway department would work with the landowner to get the tree on the ground due to the unsafe condition it presents. Cleveland also reminded motorists to be alert when traveling on any roads to dead or damaged trees within and outside of right-of-ways that could fall into the roadway. He said ash trees were a particular concern as they have suffered from it the invasive emerald ash borer. The storm came through a couple of hours before a wind advisory was to go into effect for the Glow region. Gusty winds and heavy rain would pass through the Glow region later Saturday afternoon, causing thousands of people to lose power. National Grid reported late Saturday afternoon that more than 1,800 customers were without power in the Glow region. Many of the outages were in Livingston County, with most in York, and also the towns of Caledonia, Kinesis, and Groveland. 
Outages were also reported in the Genesee County towns of Pavilion, Byron, and Leroy. By Sunday morning, there were only a handful of customers without power in the town of Darien. A small number of NYSEG and RG&E customers in Bennington, Java, Pike, Sheldon, Sparta, and Wayland also lost power. A view of the farm. Brian Quinn, Batavia. Congresswoman Claudia Tenney, Republican of Canandaigua, held the first of three listening tours Tuesday morning in Batavia to get farmers' recommendations on what to include or not include in the 2023 Farm Bill currently under discussion. She left that first session with input from more than 10 people to take back to Washington. The Farm Bill refers to legislation that sets national agriculture, nutrition, conservation, and forestry policy. The farmers and residents who spoke at the listening session represented a number of local counties, including Genesee, Orleans, and Wyoming. Natasha Sutherland of Stein Farms in Leroy said a pathway to legal status for farm workers must be addressed. Currently, it is estimated that half of our country's migrant farm workers, that is 1.2 million people, lack immigration status, she said. This affects both urban and rural areas. Our people, the men and women we work beside on a daily basis, risk their life and limb to enter this country and to provide for the families they left behind in Mexico, Jamaica, Honduras, and other Central and South American countries. Two of her farm workers, Sutherland said, combined are supporting several family members they left behind. These people deserve to live and work here without fear of deportation, she said. Pat McCormick of Java Center said there's many things in the farm bill on which federal hearings need to be held. We need to be able to get the farm workers that we need here too and have paperwork that they're not afraid to go to the hospital that they're not afraid to go to the grocery store, he said. I had an employee who had appendicitis. He did not want to be treated. They gave him antibiotics, thought it would work. McCormick said the worker did not take the treatment and left the farm the day he was diagnosed with appendicitis, went back to Mexico, and barely made it to the hospital for surgery. We need to get this program so they can be here legally and have a pathway so they're not worried about safety, he said. They are vital parts of our community. They are vital parts to support their people back home. We need to fix that problem, too, in the future. Helen Thomas of Attica, a member of the New York State Maple Producers Association, noted there are about 2,000 maple producers in the state. We are growing our crop every year. New York State produces the second largest amount of maple syrup in the United States, closing in on Vermont, she said. Thomas said she grew up in Wyoming County on a dairy farm that's been in her family for almost 200 years. She and other maple producers in the state are unique because most of them are from small family farms. We're not large businesses. We do have maybe 10 large producers, but the rest are basically family operations, she said. As one of the specialty crops in New York State, we benefit from what is so great about New York State, which is plentiful water supply, a great climate, and a lot of great soil. The maple syrup crop industry in New York is going to be expanding and can stay strong. Part of that is going to be due to help from things like the Farm Bill, Thomas said. I would support specialty crop grant funding. That's very important. I have to put in a little bit of a nod that maple sap is eligible for specialty crop funding, but maple syrup is exempt. We can't apply this for specialty crop funds for maple syrup products. Thomas said maple producers don't want to see any cuts in funding through the Farm Bill. The federal ACER Access and Development Program, a competitive grant program, promotes the maple syrup industry. It has been huge in helping to fund research and revive research that goes on in the United States. Albion sixth generation farmer Jessica Root Olinger, who owns 65 acres of fresh market apple orchards, spoke in part about the H-2A program, which allows U.S. employers or U.S. agents who meet specific regulatory requirements to bring foreign nationals to the United States.
United States to fill temporary agricultural jobs. She said in the last two years, the H-2A process has become more time-consuming, aggravating, and expensive. Root Olinger said she petitions for eight visas for workers. Today, my average cost is close to $1,000 each. This includes hiring a consultant to navigate the program forms and process, multiple agency visa fees, and inbound travel, she said. The cost is before my yearly expense lines of payroll at the adverse wage rate. Farmers are being told there could be an additional yearly $600 asylum fee attached to each visa, the Albion farmer said. We employ for the most part the same workers year after year. In 10 years, I could be paying $6,000 in asylum fees on one worker, she said. What does that get me or the employee? Nothing. Root Olinger's request to Tenney was to go back to Washington, D.C. and look at the rules and regulations for the H-2A program that have not been reviewed in decades. Try to tie up loose ends so agencies are not introducing their own versions of these laws. Jim Bittner, a first-generation farmer in Niagara County, is also on the Niagara County Farm Bureau Board of Directors and Executive Director of New York State Horticultural Society. When it comes to the Farm Bill, there's four overarching things you have to pay attention to, he told Tenney. Those include farmers not wanting to see cuts made in the bill, nutrition is part of the total Farm Bill and it needs to stay there, the Farm Bill needs to be passed in a timely manner, he said. The Farm Bill would have to address U.S. Department of Agriculture staffing issues. Tenney acknowledged there were a variety of farmers from different parts of the district, citizens, and a professor, Eric Randall. It is very important that we get what we need out of this farm bill to enhance our agricultural community and ensure we prosper, she told the media afterward. We are going to advocate to get the recommendations that we're hearing from our farming community included in the farm bill this year. Congressman Nick Langworthy, Republican 23rd District, and Mark Molinaro, Republican of Red Hook, are members of the House Agriculture Committee. Tenney is on the House Ways and Means Committee. Some of the aspects of the farm bill do come through our committee. We're going to be fighting to make sure that the provisions that are going to enhance our agricultural output are going to be included in this farm bill, she said. Tenney said we need to protect our nation's security and make sure that our farmers are protected. We have to make sure that our farmers are protected so that our farmers can have a safe labor force. Group of people that are committed to working hard, are committed to doing the work they need done, and also having coordination in the most cost-efficient way to provide some of the visas H-2A program so we have agricultural workers with the least amount of cost to farmers because they're up against a lot of costs. Tenney noted the concern brought up during Tuesday's tour about some of the costs imposed on having foreign workers on the H-2A program, having to send them back to their country and redo the process with visas. We want to make sure the farmers are protected by New York State and the federal government, that they have people coming back who don't have criminal records, who are good workers, and will be not only productive, but will not have any harm to our society or communities. Opioid testing gains support. Brian Quinn, Batavia. After some discussion with Public Health Director Paul Pettit, County Human Services Committee members agreed to support hiring a company to do lab services to test wastewater for opioids. In a meeting last month, the Ways and Means Committee referred a resolution to hire BioBot Analytics, Inc. for $1,000 per site per month to test wastewater in sites in Leroy and the city of Batavia. The money would come from opioid settlement funds. The proposed resolution would go back to the Ways and Means Committee meeting this Wednesday. If supported there, it would go to the full legislature for approval. This is a passive way where we can monitor obvious through wastewater, Pettit said. We don't see really the true scope of what's going on when we just look at overdoses per se. We've got to start collecting some data, start to build what, what that looks like, and then once we get enough, we start to see the trends. 
the health department will be able to establish a baseline of the amount of drugs it is seeing in the wastewater system at any given time. When it sees spikes in the amount of drugs being found, it can put that information out to the public. If it sees chemicals such as xylazine or more fentanyl, for example, we can put out releases that say, be aware, there's something we're seeing in our system that could be more reactive and cause more overdoses or overdose deaths, Pettit said. Legislature Vice Chairwoman Marianne Clattenburg said this is a lot of resources for the county to put toward looking for a problem it already knows it has. Yes, the problem is here, but again, we can't track and understand the way it's moving through a community, so we get spikes, Pettit said. For example, in 2021, we were down in overdose deaths. Last year, we spiked back up again. We don't know why. We had nine in 21 with one pending still. We had nine in 22 with 13 pending. The more information the department has, it can use that information with substance abuse agencies and law enforcement agencies, the public health director said. Where are we going to get to the point where we're going to see education back in schools again, Clattenburg asked. I think it used to be much more rigorous than it is now. I think when we let that piece of it go, we're rolling it back now. Pettit said he agreed that there should be more education. The opioid task force has had school representation at its meetings. COVID has sidetracked a lot of that, and we're trying to get back a lot of those meetings into focus work groups that were focused on these issues, he said. We're doing a lot of work. We were trending down significantly with our overdoses and overdose deaths, and unfortunately, we did see a spike again last year. We're trying to understand that, and this, the lab services, just gives us additional data to help understand what's happening in the community in real time. Legislature Chairwoman Rochelle Stein asked whether in testing drugs would be identified in the wastewater and whether a measurement of the drugs are as a percentage. It's identifying them. It's showing it's there, but it's also giving us a rate. It gives us an understanding of what's going on, he said. As that rate or the volume goes up, we know there's more drugs in the system that we'll be able to capture in the analysis. With the proposed wastewater site testing to be done in the city of Batavia and in Leroy, which have the county's largest population centers, Pettit noted, Stein asked, do you see that we would be able to expand this to our other wastewater treatment sites? Pettit said he sees that happening. It's not being done anywhere that we know of, even in New York at the moment. There's a lot of counties that are looking to use the funds for a similar purpose, he said. We would try it out a little bit, see how it goes. Depending on the value of the lab services, the health department would recommend continuing with it. If we're finding that it's not helpful, if we're not seeing the type of data that we like to see, then we could suspend that too down the road because that's a contractual arrangement. Committee member John DeLeo asked whether the testing would be for drugs that have been ingested as opposed to those flushed down a toilet. It'll capture all of them, but my understanding is the lab can actually differentiate between the two of those so we can actually see and get those types of analysis out, Pettit said. $841,000 in state funds set for Genesee County. Genesee County will receive $841,580 in state matching funds as a result of taxpayer savings achieved in 2021, which its legislature chairwoman said will be used toward shared services. Genesee County, New York is pleased to participate in New York State's CWSSI, Countywide Shared Services Initiative Program. We appreciate the award of $841,580.62 as we engage in more shared services for the benefit of our property taxpayers, Chairwoman Rochelle Stein said. The New York Department of State said Thursday that the funding is provided through the CWSSI, which provides a one-time match of taxpayer savings achieved in the first year of implementation of new shared services projects. New York's counties and municipalities work hard to identify new and creative ways to cut costs and save taxpayer 
taxpayer dollars, said Secretary of State Robert J. Rodriguez. The savings achieved through Genesee County's Shared Services Plan is proof that working together to create efficiencies in local government can deliver positive results for residents for years to come. As part of CWSSI, Genesee County created a 2020 Shared Services Plan that identified ways to consolidate services and save taxpayer money through government efficiency in services and community programs. Genesee County's plan included a proposal to partner with the Capital Region BOCES Pharmacy Purchasing Coalition to receive group purchasing discounts on pharmacy benefits. This partnership allows the county and municipalities to reduce spending associated with administering employee benefit plans and save taxpayer dollars, while also reducing prescription drug costs for employees. Genesee County achieved the $841,580 in taxpayer savings two years ago as a result of this. Joining the Capital Region BOCES Pharmacy Purchasing Coalition demonstrated the power of combining forces with other municipal entities, helping to reduce program expenditures, Stein said. Initiatives such as this are win-wins for taxpayers, program users, and are a hallmark of the creativity employed in Genesee County. The Capital Region BOCES Pharmacy Purchasing Coalition is a self-insured prescription drug program that was initially developed with a $400,000 grant from the Department of State's Local Government Efficiency Program. The program is designed to comport with nearly any health insurance plan and benefit structure that a municipality may have, allowing municipalities to maintain their current pharmacy plan, governance, and autonomy while achieving cost savings through large-scale group purchasing discounts. WCCHS to close two clinics, Mallory Diefenbach and Matt Sertel, Warsaw. The Wyoming County Community Health System will be closing two of its primary care clinic sites. The first is the Odell Clinic on 263 Liberty Street in Arcade. The WCCHS will be terminating its lease. No employees will be affected since the location, one of two in the village, is already empty. The reason for closure is the proximity to the other WCCHS clinic, less than one mile away in Arcade at 401 Main Street, said CEO David Kobus of the WCCHS. Having two clinics this close together providing the same services was not a good use of health system funds. Residents in Arcade can easily travel to the WCCHS clinic on 401 Main Street for care. The Castile Primary Care Clinic at 5596 Route 19A is also set to close. This location was only open two days per week and is about 10 to 15 minutes away from the hospital itself and the system's primary care clinic in Perry. Having multiple clinics providing the same services so close together was, again, not a good use of health system funds, Copas said. No employees will be affected. Both sites will be closed May 1st. The WCCHS opened several primary care clinics in 2019 to help alleviate what county and health officials described as a looming health care need in the area. In a separate note, Cobus said, WCCHS will be commencing pain management services in April. Dr. Hemant Kalia is a pain management specialist from the Rochester area with years of experience, Cobus said. He will be conducting a pain clinic at the hospital campus twice monthly. The clinic will provide interventional services only with no narcotic management, Cobus said. Advertising of the new service will commence shortly. Nominations sought for GCC Alumni Hall of Fame, Batavia. The Genesee Community College Foundation invites nominations for its Alumni Hall of Fame. The Alumni Hall of Fame, which recognizes alumni who have achieved outstanding success and made a lasting impact on their communities, the foundation will induct 
the next class in autumn. GCC introduced the Alumni Hall of Fame in 2007. The college has recognized 45 graduates over the past 16 years in a variety of professional fields. Nomination criteria is based on a person's contributions to his or her profession, distinguished service to the community, and or service to GCC. Nominees must be well-established in their professional lives, completing their GCC degree at least 10 years prior to their nomination. Nominations may be submitted by the nominee or by friends, family, work associates, or other colleagues. A selection committee will choose those honored. New inductees will be honored at a reception on campus. Their photo and a short biography will be featured on a plaque displayed in the Alumni Hall of Fame, located on the second floor of the Conable Technology Building on the Batavia campus. Nomination forms are available at https colon slash slash gccfoundationinc.org slash alumni hyphen events or by calling 585-345-6809. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Deaths Ruled Murder-Suicide, Albion. The county sheriff's office is investigating after a report Sunday of a suspicious vehicle led to discovery of a murder-suicide. The vehicle was parked in an orchard about 75 feet off Kendrick Road. Upon further investigation, two people were found deceased in the orchard about 400 feet from the vehicle, Sheriff Christopher Burke said Wednesday. The two people were identified as Henry Frank Spoon Jr., 39, and his son, Sean Spoon, 14, of Lockport. Based on the evidence at the scene and the investigation thus far, together with the findings of the Monroe County Medical Examiner's Office following the autopsies of the two individuals, Henry Spoon shot his son, Sean, in the head with a rifle and cut his throat with a knife. Henry Spoon then attempted to cut his own throat and then turned the rifle on himself, shooting himself in the head, Bork said in a news release. The Orleans County Sheriff's Office is continuing to piece together the history of events leading up to this tragic incident. Burke said his office is working with several agencies on this investigation, including the Orleans County District Attorney's Office and the Major Felony Crime Task Force. The Lockport Police Department, the Niagara County Sheriff's Office, the New York State Police, and the Monroe County Medical Examiner's Office. Burke asks that anyone with information regarding this incident call 585-589-5527 and ask for Investigator Colonna, Pahuta, or Marcille. Students have Chancellor's Ear, Brian Quinn, Batavia. State University of New York Chancellor John B. King Jr. took some input with him when he left Genesee Community College campus Wednesday morning. In part, he talked to students about whether they were enjoying their experience at GCC and how things could be improved. Students talked about the relationships they have with faculty and staff. They talked about sports. They talked about the sense of community, King said. That was really good to hear. On the other hand, there were challenges, such as transportation and the ability to get from the residence buildings to downtown stores and restaurants. They also talked about some gaps between the students who live on campus and the students who don't live on campus, and making sure there are activities that keep the students who don't live on campus engaged in the campus community, King said. The SUNY system continues to think about how to support community colleges, the chancellor said while he was at Batavia. We know we have to address transportation as an obstacle for students. For some students, transportation challenges even lead them to not complete their education, he said. One of the things we're hoping for with the state budget is that there will be resources that we can use to address basic needs and security issues like housing. For some students, it's transportation. Other students, it's food insecurity. 
Other students, it's child care. Those are issues across the system that we want to try to tackle. King noted that Governor Kathy Hochul proposed a $75 million fund to make sure campuses are creating programs that are well-matched with local workforce development needs. The fund is to help students not only start college, but finish it. We're hopeful that that will be a resource that places like GCC will be able to take advantage of, he said. There is also discussion in Albany about the funding level for community colleges. The governor proposed essentially ensuring that community colleges will at least get what they've gotten previously. The Senate and Assembly both proposed additional funding for community colleges, so we'll see how that plays out. On the visit to GCC, King was asked what the chancellor does. He told students the chancellor is responsible for supporting the president of the 64 community colleges. He also has to advocate for the SUNY system with Hochul and the state legislature, get resources for the campuses and distribute them, make sure schools follow civil rights laws and follow responsibilities to students. When they met with King before he toured some of the campus, students talked about issues such as transportation, civic engagement and leadership, and being taught about government and available mental health services. The topic of diversity also came up when King met with students. State Senator George Borello, Republican of Sunset Bay, was also there for the discussion with the students. If you get together with the students, you can make a lot of things happen, freshman Alasia Monroe said after meeting with King. If you ask them, talk to them, you can really do a lot. You can do so many different things with people. We have a lot of different clubs. Those are different diversity events. Monroe said she is the vice president for diversity and events. We definitely look forward to putting everyone together because everyone is different, she said. We like to do more where we're showing people how to communicate with people, learn about each other. Student government vice President for Academic Affairs Isaiah Jones had asked about opportunities for civic engagement and leadership and learning about government, saying he wanted to become a politician and had done internships with politicians. I was basically looking for a process and a system where we would get students civically engaged, he said. In the City University of New York system, he said, students in student government go to government bodies' meetings with elected officials. They talk about problems and adversity that happens throughout City University of New York, Jones said. I was wondering if we could do that in this school, starting at GCC and maybe taking it to SUNY. We help students get registered to vote. That was just one thing. If there were more things like that, maybe we could go to poll sites or maybe we could do canvassing for a campaign we support. Obituaries. Tuesday, April 4th. Nancy Critus Poblocki, 58, of East Bethany. Kathleen Marie Strollo, 78. Alan L. Hansen, 92, formerly of Stafford. Rose E. Kajolka, 78, of Corfu. Carol Rusek, 98, of Batavia. Howard W. Hobbin, 85, of Byron. Margaret Mary Peggy Lutz, 87, of Elba. Norman P. May, Jr., 66, of Hermitage. Richard B. Dick Nichols, 81, of Batavia. Wednesday, April 5th. Jeffrey A. Staler, 56. Timothy Lee Sanner, 54, of Pembroke. Donald Sosi, 85. Thursday, April 6th. Donald J. Moynihan, 94, of Syracuse, formerly of Batavia. Now some upcoming events. Tickets on sale for Spaghetti Dinner, Stafford. Genesee Cancer Assistance will conduct its annual Spaghetti Dinner on April 27th. 
This year's event will take place 4 to 7 p.m. at the Stafford Fire Hall at 6153 Main Street. It will be dine-in or take-out. The dinner is held in memory of Joe Gerace, who was a valued and dedicated volunteer to the organization for many years. Meals are $14 and pre-sale tickets are encouraged. Pre-sale tickets are available from any board member by calling 585-345-0417 or at www.geneseecancerassistance.org. The menu will include spaghetti and meatballs, salad, bread, and dessert. Water, soft drinks, and coffee are included for dining customers. A beer and wine cash bar will be available provided by the Leroy Country Club. There will also be various drawings and raffles with tickets available for purchase. Genesee Cancer Assistance is a community-based nonprofit organization committed to providing financial assistance and free services to cancer patients in Genesee County. It has given more than $500,000 to more than 2,000 patients over its 27 years of operation. All money raised stays in Genesee County. This year, Genesee Cancer Assistance continues to offer each cancer patient $600 of financial assistance along with the Simply Beautiful program and other free Free services to help lessen the burden that comes with a cancer diagnosis. For more information about this event, future events, or services, visit www.geneseecancerassistance.org or call 585-345-0417. Civil War Roundtable to discuss Sherman Pavilion. The Genesee Valley Civil War Roundtable has set its first meeting for this year. The meeting will take place 7 p.m. April 19th at Pavilion United Methodist Church at the corner of Routes 19 and 63. The guest speaker is history professor Derek Maxfield of Genesee Community College. Maxfield will be talking about his new book, Man of Fire, which tells the story of William Tecumseh Sherman. Copies will be available to be signed. Polish Falcons to Mark Dingus Day, Batavia. A Dingus Day celebration will be conducted Monday at Polish Falcon's Nest 493. A Polish platter will be available 4 to 6 p.m. or sold out at the location on 123 South Swan Street. Meals are eat-in or take-out. Cost is $12 and pre-orders are suggested. Special Dingus Day raffle tickets will also be available and the bar opens at 2 p.m. Call 585-343-0225 or 585-343-4088 for more information. Church sets rummage sale and May breakfast, Warsaw. An upcoming series of events has been announced by the United Church of Warsaw. The church at 22 South Main Street will conduct a rummage sale 4 to 7 p.m. April 13th, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. April 14th, and a bag sale 9 a.m. to noon April 15th. The church will conduct its 110th annual May breakfast 6.30 to 9 a.m. May 1st. Kendall Church plans Buffalo Roast Dinner. Kendall United Methodist Church will conduct its annual Buffalo Roast Dinner on April 22nd. The dinner is drive-through slash takeout. It will take place 4 to 6 p.m. at the church on 1814 Kendall Road. Cost is $18. Call 585-281-1514 for reservations. Fire Department to host Chicken Barbecue, Alabama. A chicken barbecue will be conducted April 16th by the Alabama Fire Department. The barbecue will be eat-in or take-out. It will take place 11 a.m. to sold-out at the Alabama Firemen's Recreation Hall on Route 63 in South Alabama. The meal will include a half chicken and sides, a dessert and beverage. Cost is $15. Haxton Memorial Library offers story times. Oakfield. Preschoolers from 2 to 5 years old are invited to a morning of activities, stories, rhymes, songs, and a craft each week 
at Haxton Memorial Library. The library is located at 3 North Pearl Street. Preschool Storytime takes place 10.30 a.m. Mondays in the children's room. The Haxton Library's talented Mrs. J fills Storytime with fun for preschoolers with each program centered around a theme like holidays, animals, colors, pets, seasons, or special events, library officials said in a news release. The colorful children's room is described as the perfect setting, and it invites children to explore the other activities and materials available at the library. Haxton Memorial Library also offers baby story time at 10 a.m. Saturdays. Babies from birth to two years old are invited to share rhymes, songs, and simple board books, followed by playtime. Although baby story time is designed for infants and toddlers, older children are always welcome to attend as well. Our Storytime programs are great favorites because they engage the children with activities and songs, said Library Director Kim Gibson. We love to have our preschoolers and their families explore and enjoy the materials, books, and programs that we offer at the Haxton. Call 585-948-9900 for more information about preschool Storytime, baby Storytime, and any other program at the library. YWCA plans Inspiration Lunch. Brian Quinn, Batavia. The YWCA plans to honor four people for the ways in which they embody its mission. The organization will do so at this year's Women of Inspiration Lunch, 11 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. April 29th at the Batavia Country Club. The honorees will be retired hospice nurse and former director of community hospice of Rensselaer County, Anne Ianello, a community volunteer, retired educator and community volunteer Debbie McAllister, Crossroads House founder and director of residential care, Kathy Panapento, and gerontologist, CTA, and adjunct gerontology professor, Amy Swanson, also a community volunteer. They stood out and were considered for the Women of Inspiration Award for the way in which they have dedicated their lives to betterment of women, children, and the community through their volunteer and professional efforts throughout their lifetimes, said YWCA Executive Director Millie Tamidi Pepper. Anne Ionello grew up in Batavia and graduated from Batavia High School. She and her husband, Rick, retired and moved back to Batavia in 2017. Anne started volunteering at Richmond Memorial Library. She delivers library materials to several older adults at Washington Towers who are unable to travel to the library. She has developed relationships with the people she serves and has genuine concern for their well-being, the YWCA wrote in a press release. At least once a quarter, she comes into the library and calls 30 to 45 program participants who have long overdue materials and or whom we haven't heard from in a while. This serves as a friendly welfare check, as well as prompting service to individuals who may not remember to contact us for another delivery and pickup, and also helps with the monthly Friends of the Library book sale, it wrote. For her service to the library, Ionella received the 2022 Friend of the Year Award by the Friends of the Richmond Memorial Library. Prior to focusing on her family, Debbie McAllister taught special education for Genesee, Wyoming, BOCES, and Leroy Central School. She also worked as a SEALTA coordinator at Genesee, Wyoming, BOCES. She finished her career as a student teacher supervisor for SUNY Geneseo, monitoring over 300 student teachers who have stated they found her so inspirational. She was a member of Genesee County Chapter of Delta Kappa Gamma, an organization for outstanding women educators. She launched Books and Bibs for Babies, adopted by Richmond Memorial Library, and the financial support of Kiwanis is still active today. McAllister is active in her church, Virgin Evangelical Presbyterian Church, where she has been a deacon for six years. Kathy Penapento is a registered nurse and certified end-of-life doula who has worked in end-of-life care for more than 40 years. 
She identified a need within the community for a home where individuals could reside in their final stage of life, said Stephen Johnson, president of Crossroad House Board of Directors. In 1998, she founded Crossroads House to fulfill this need. Director of Resident Care and End-of-Life Douala Services, Penapento also serves on the Crossroads House Board. Kathy opened Crossroads House with the philosophy that admission is free of cost and based solely on need, regardless of religion, age, sex, race, creed, economic status, or other distinctions, Johnson wrote. This driving force of hers will assure so many more will experience her mission to help you live your best life until your last breath. Genesee Community College Professor Emeritus Christine Belangia said she has known Amy Swanson for almost 25 years. She said Swanson's early life was characterized by considerable trauma. Swanson's mother brought her to Western New York after fleeing an abusive relationship in Oregon. After graduation from SUNY Fredonia, Amy married Garth Swanson and they started a family. Their first son, Anders, was born in 2005. The Swansons learned Anders had brain cancer. He survived and is cancer-free. Through it all, she found time to advocate for others, whether it is the stroll for strong kids, camp good days and special times, etc. Her husband passed away from colon cancer in January 2022. She now works at BOCES with some of its most challenging students, students that have been removed from traditional classrooms. Tickets are $35 each. They are limited to the first 150 people and may be bought through April 15th. To get tickets, visit ywcagenesee.org or make a checkout to the YWCA of Genesee County and send it to 301 North Street, Batavia, New York, 14020. Crime. Man gets prison for patrol car crash. Scott DeSmit, Warsaw. A Perry man was sentenced to a state prison term for being high on drugs and alcohol when he drove into a Wyoming County Sheriff's deputy patrol car. Edward S. Marzicki, 61, was sentenced Thursday in Wyoming County Court to 16 months to four years in prison with three years of post-release supervision by Judge Michael Mahoon. Marzicki pleaded guilty in December to aggravated vehicular assault after he waived indictment on charges of aggravated vehicular assault, driving while impaired by drugs, driving while impaired by drugs and alcohol, reckless driving, moving from a lane unsafely, and two counts of speeding. Marzicki was seen driving erratically east on Route 78 about 2.30 p.m. September 29th. Deputy William Asquith was parked on Eddy Road at Route 78 intersection. He was observing traffic when Marzicki lost control on a curve. Marzicki's vehicle went off the shoulder and continued through a grass field. It then crossed onto Eddy Road and struck Asquith's patrol car at a high rate of speed, deputy said. The impact spun the patrol car 180 degrees. Marzicki's vehicle came to rest in a cornfield. Asquith was taken by Mercy Flight to Erie County Medical Center for treatment. He was released later that night. Also in county court Thursday, Austin M. Gardner, 24 of Painted Post, pleaded guilty to third-degree criminal sexual act, a Class E felony. Gardner waived indictment on charges of first-degree criminal sexual assault, sexual misconduct, menacing, and criminal contempt. He is to be sentenced June 16th. John Regal of Warsaw was sentenced to six months in jail and five years probation for second-degree assault during a domestic dispute. Michael Strobel, 43, of Buffalo, was sentenced to five years probation for possessing meth and three years probation for driving while impaired by drugs. Seth Greenauer, 20, of North Collins, was arraigned on an indictment charging him with third-degree grand larceny and second-degree criminal mischief. He allegedly smashed all the windows in a house in Attica and stole numerous items from the house, along with dumping garbage on the McGrath Road property in January. Impaired driver concealed crack cocaine. Avon. 
A Wyoming County man is facing felony-impaired driving and other charges after a traffic stop on Route 390, Livingston County Sheriff's deputies said. Ronald B. Sakonofsky, 37 of Silver Springs, was stopped March 24th by Deputy Jason Page for an alleged traffic violation. Page suspected Sakonofsky was under the influence of something other than alcohol. Field sobriety tests were conducted and Sakonofsky was taken into custody while driving while ability impaired by drugs. Sakonofsky was taken to the sheriff's office substation in Lakeville for a drug evaluation. It was allegedly determined he was under the influence of a stimulant. A records check also revealed Sakonofsky had a prior DWAI by drugs conviction in 2018, which made the latest arrest a felony. Sakonowski was taken to Livingston County Jail for processing. While preparing to move Sakonowski into the jail, deputies allegedly discovered he had concealed crack cocaine on his person while being pulled over. Sakonowski was charged with felony DWAI by drugs, felony tampering with physical evidence, seventh-degree criminal possession of a controlled substance, and additional traffic violations. He was committed to jail without bail. Sakonowski had previously served time in state prison for third-degree burglary and fourth-degree grand larceny auto. He had most recently been released on parole in October 2018. The terms of his parole had expired in March 2022, according to the State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision. Cushman pleads in vicious assault, Matt Sertel, Warsaw. A former Silver Spring man will serve 12 years to life in prison after pleading guilty to a brutal assault in which his victim died after never leaving the hospital. Eric Cushman, 52, pleaded guilty March 27th to second-degree assault as a persistent felony offender during a session in Wyoming County Court. The designation means he will serve at least 12 years before being eligible for parole, said District Attorney Donald O'Gene. Sentencing has been set for May 10th. As this case was proceeding to trial, it was more and more evident that but for Mr. Cushman breaking in and beating the victim, the victim would not have died in such a quick manner, O'Gene said in a statement issued Wednesday. It was a senseless intrusion into a person's home in violation of an order of protection that had been served upon the defendant that very morning. It is clear that Mr. Cushman should not be among the general population as he can't stop committing violent crimes, O'Gene continued. Based upon his behavior in this case, the death of the victim, and his voluminous criminal history, the parole board should never let him out. Cushman had been expected to face trial May 5th for the September 10th, 2022 home invasion at a Silver Springs residence. A woman at the house had a stay-away order of protection against him. Emergency dispatchers received a call about 10.43 p.m. that night about a male who had been assaulted at the residence. Deputies arrived and found the victim, Wilmer Stapleton Jr., had suffered serious physical injuries. Witnesses identified Cushman as the assailant, but he fled on foot before police arrived. Cushman was later located walking through a nearby property and was taken into custody by Wyoming County Sheriff's deputies without incident. Stapleton was taken to Wyoming County Community Hospital and transferred to Erie County Medical Center. He was never able to leave ECMC and died the following month. Cushman has been in Wyoming County Jail without bail since his arrest. He has a long criminal history and has served much of his adult life in state prison. Man arrested on fugitive warrant. Matt Sertel, Warsaw. A Cattaraugus County man with an extensive criminal history was taken into custody March 28th as a fugitive from justice. Travis Ginnery, 31, of Great Valley, was wanted by Bradford, Pennsylvania City Police on five felony charges, including theft, receiving stolen property, and criminal mischief. Grinnery has stolen catalytic converters on December 5th from vehicles at a business, Bradford police said. He was arrested at Wyoming County Jail, where he was being held on felony DWI charges in connection with a September 2022 traffic stop in Arcade. Grinnery had a prior criminal history beyond that. He was sentenced in 2019, 
to one to three years in prison after being convicted of aggravated criminal contempt and aggravated family offense in Cattaraugus County. He was likewise charged this past February 19th in connection with an early morning high-speed chase across Cattaraugus County, according to media reports. He's facing multiple charges, including drug possession with intent to sell, promoting prison contraband, unlawful fleeing of a police officer, reckless driving, and numerous vehicle and traffic violations. Guinery was taken into custody in September 2017 on a warrant by Erie County Sheriff's deputies for an alleged probation violation. He was also allegedly found to possess crack cocaine, a package of heroin, suboxone, and crack pipes at the time. Blotter, Albion. A corrections officer was arrested and charged with having a sexual relationship with an inmate at Albion Correctional Facility. State police said Jonathan L. DeJesus, 41 of Dunkirk, was charged with third-degree rape and official misconduct. Police said the charges came after a complaint was filed in August. DeJesus is to appear at a later date in town court. Byron. Matthew J. Zahn, 41 of Byron, was charged with felony criminal contempt of court, Genesee County Sheriff's deputies said. He also was charged with misdemeanor criminal possession of a controlled substance after deputies found him with drugs at the time of his arrest. Batavia. Jason H. Freeman, 41 of of South Spruce Street, was charged with felony promoting prison contraband, Genesee County Sheriff's deputies said. He allegedly possessed drugs while at jail November 2nd. Batavia. Shonda Sundown, 30 of Batavia, pleaded guilty in town court to disorderly conduct and satisfaction of numerous welfare fraud charges against her. Social Services Investigator Robert Regi said she had been charged with 11 counts of felony offering a false instrument for filing and one count of third-degree grand larceny. Sundown failed to report that the father of her child was living with her and earning income. Sundown was given a one-year conditional discharge and paid full restitution of $8,353. Pembroke. Weldon J. Irvin, 31 of Pembroke, was charged with third-degree assault after an investigation into a domestic dispute, Genesee County Sheriff's deputy said. He also was charged with unauthorized use of a motor vehicle for taking a car without permission. Batavia. City police charged the following people. Christine M. Kaplis, 41, of Batavia, was charged on six separate failure-to-appear-in-court warrants. She originally was charged with theft of services at a local restaurant and repeatedly failed to appear in court. Alexander C. Schwartz, 27, of Rochester, was charged with bail jumping and failure to appear in court for felony aggravated unlicensed operation and speeding. Jamie L. Broadbent, 40, of Batavia, was charged on a warrant with failure to appear in court to answer charges that she stole an electric bicycle. James A. Reinhardt, 54, of Pembroke, was charged with aggravated DWI, failure to keep right, moving from a lane unsafely, and failure to use designated lane. Joanne M. Robbins Lockwood, 55 of Bank Street, was charged with DWI and no headlights. Johnny L. Shannon, 64 of Creek Road, was charged with misdemeanor criminal possession of a controlled substance after he was found with drugs during a traffic stop. A passenger, Loretta L. Bayer, 51 of Wood Street, was also charged. Haley M. Lardner, 23 of River Street, was charged with misdemeanor drug possession after she was found with drugs during an arrest on a warrant. Michael S. Vdeffer, 50 of Lockport, was charged with DWI. Medina. Village police charged the following people. Edward Alice Jr., 24 of Lindenville, was charged with reckless endangerment and criminal possession of a weapon. William J. Allport, 29 of Albion, was charged with DWI, speeding, and visibility distorted by broken glass. Austin A. Heideman, 25 of Medina, was charged with petty larceny. Samantha L. Vencheri, 32 of Medina, was charged with criminal possession of stolen property and petty larceny. Warsaw. Katie Day, 37 of Warsaw, was charged with felony criminal mischief for allegedly damaging a computer tablet at County J. 
jail, deputies said. She is to appear at a later date in town court. Leroy, Nicole F. Boggs, 43 of Brockport, was charged with second-degree burglary, state police said. She was charged after an investigation into a March 15th house burglary. Batavia, two people were charged with felonies after an investigation into shoplifting, state police said. Jason S. Hall, 33 of Medina, and Terry L. Deputy, 34 of Albion, were charged with fourth-degree grand larceny and fourth-degree criminal possession property. Batavia, David E. Bragg, 36 of Medina, was charged with criminal impersonation and identity theft, state police said. He is to appear at a later date in town court. Eagle, a Bliss woman, was charged March 28th with unauthorized use of a motor vehicle, Wyoming County Sheriff's deputy said. Christine R. Height, 33, took a vehicle from a person's residence without permission and drove to Buffalo, said deputies Daniel J. Kemp and Kyle Murray. She is to appear Monday in town court. You are listening to a reading of articles and features from the Batavia Daily News on the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service. Daily News, LCN, earn eight state press awards. Staff from the Daily News and the Livingston County News were recognized with eight awards at the New York Press Association's annual spring convention and trade show in Albany. The awards included a first place, two seconds, two thirds, and three honorable mentions for stories published during 2022. It is exciting to be recognized by our peers who understand the challenges in producing a quality product consistently, said regional editor Ben Beagle. To see so many different staff members recognized is a validation of their efforts. The entire staff, though, shares in these awards as we work collaboratively to tell the story of the GLOW region. Daily News photographer Mark Gutman took two of the three awards for Spot News Photo in the paper's division. The paper received a second-place award for Best News Series for coverage of the financial crisis at Wyoming County Community Health System and its decision to terminate a popular doctor. Your journalistic efforts exhibited here represent community service at the highest level because it is a community-wide issue. Your bulldog reporting stands out among the tough competition in this category, the judges wrote. The judges also singled out staff writer Mallory Diefenbach for excellent reporting, use of quotes, attribution, and background context. The judges also noted the story's precise photos, excellent photo reproduction, strong headlines, and subheads. Of the latter, the judges said good heads slash subheads is a positive trend at your publication. The passage of time is evident by the photos, masks and then no masks, noted the judges. Awards were presented to the Daily News and Livingston County News for first place, Mark Gutman, the Daily News spot news photo for a fire at a historic Washington Avenue home in Batavia. The judges praised Gutman's ability to document firefighters in action, especially with the flames hot. Second place, Brian Quinn, Matt Sertel, Ben Beagle, the Daily News Spot News, for coverage of the Mercy Flight helicopter crash in a farm field in Elba, and Mallory Diefenbach and Matt Sertel, the Daily News, Best News Slash Feature Series for a collection of stories about the financial crisis at Wyoming County Community Health System and its decision to terminate a popular doctor. Of the Mercy Flight crash coverage, judges said, this package is very well researched, written, and organized. Third place, Margaret Lee, Ben Beagle, Matt Sertel, the Livingston County News, spot news coverage for the tornado that damaged a farm and other locations in Java. Mark Gutman, the Daily News, spot news photo for a car carrier fire in Pavilion. The tornado coverage, an interesting package that rises above traditional spot reporting on a storm, the judges said. The car carrier fire was a powerful moment and a right-sized image, according to the judges. Honorable mention, Ben Beagle, the Livingston County News, feature photo of Caledonia artist Bill White painting a mural on the side of Cozy Kitchen. Mark Gutman, the Daily News, sports action photo from the Attica Rodeo, and Brian Quinn, Scott to 
Schmidt and Mallory Diefenbach news or feature series for coverage of the Reawaken America tour in Batavia. Of the Reawaken America coverage, the judges said, excellent reporting by all involved puts the local face on the national issue. Excellent use of quotes and attribution all the way around, the judges said. The photograph of Bill White was shot at a low angle with a cell phone placed on the sidewalk. A very solid photo shot from an interesting angle, wrote the judges. Gutman's photograph featured a competitor in the bareback riding event trying to stay atop the horse. Good action. Love the hat flying off and the way the rider's legs match the horses, wrote the judges. The New York Press Association's Better Newspaper Contest is one of the largest and widely recognized newspaper contests in the state. The contest features 70 categories covering the editorial, advertising, and circulation efforts of New York State's daily and weekly newspapers. Newspapers from around the state compete for the awards, which are presented in divisions based on circulation so that newspapers compete against similarly sized newspapers. Entries this year were judged by members of the Colorado Press Association. This year, 154 newspapers submitted 2,600. 657 entries to the Better Newspaper Contest. Celebrating their accomplishments is something newspapers don't do often enough, NYPA Executive Director Michelle Ray said in a news release. Newspapers create a brand new product on a daily or weekly basis, 52 weeks a year. They work on tight deadlines with small staffs, covering local government, breaking news, sports, business, entertainment, and more. Receiving recognition from their peers in another state is affirming and energizing. We salute them for the top quality, important work they do. NYPA, established in 1853, is made up of weekly and daily newspapers in New York State. Bringing on the bunny. Mallory Diefenbach, Burgeon. For years, a local family ran the Burgeon Easter Egg Hunt. This year, the Burgeon Business Civic Association took the reins. We're very excited, the BBCA president Trish Plunknett said during the Saturday event. We did a lot of marketing but weren't sure how it would turn out. Hundreds of children of all ages showed up with their families. Before the Easter egg hunt, in which 3,000 eggs were nestled in the lawn at Hickory Park, there were activities for families to enjoy at the Sage Pavilion. They could make their own Easter bag, guess how many M&Ms were in a jar, take photos with the Easter bunny, and work on egg baskets. They did a fantastic job, said Sandy Owen, who was with her partner Colby and children. The couple was happy to have activities for them to do in person and for a nice spring day where the temperature reached past 60 degrees. The BBCA provided 25 lunches, consisting of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for the kids. By 12.30 p.m., only six were left. Around 12.45 p.m., the Easter Bunny began leading families to the park. There were three age groups, four and under, five to seven, and eight and over. Each child could get 10 eggs, and each age group had four golden tickets hidden inside for a prize. All other eggs had candy, such as Kit Kats, hidden inside. On the hunt for eggs in Medina, Mallory Diefenbach. Darting to and from the large display windows on Medina's Main Street, children eagerly looked for golden Easter eggs hidden in plain sight. Saturday was Medina's Golden Easter Egg Scavenger Hunt. There were 12 golden eggs in the windows of the downtown merchants. Kids were encouraged to write down the location of each to enter to win a chocolate prize from Della's Chocolate and a play pass for AJ's play date. There were also five eggs hidden in high locations. Writing them all down in addition to the 12 golden eggs entered into a chance to win two play passes to AJ's play date and a certificate for a dozen cookies at Case Nick Cookies. We found one already in a skeleton's mouth, Fiona Oaks, nine of Medina, excitedly exclaimed. Walking down the street with her younger sister, Eleanor, five, and father, Chris Oaks, the two girls declared their intention to win the chocolate prize. Phoenix Konisny, six of Medina, was hunting with his sister, Dahlia, three. The duo 
duo had already found two eggs. It's challenging, Phoenix said. Set up in the small park where the Easter Bunny visited later in the day, Amanda Croning, children's director for one church, had a small wheel kids could spin for prizes. This was the second year the church had games set up. Team Rigi pitches winning game plan. Brian Quinn, Burgeon. Students at the Western New York Tech Academy had to come up with a way to represent the Academy in hopes of winning the two-day March Madness Einstein Day event. That honor went to Team Rigi with 244 points combined from the pitch it made to a panel of judges and the March Madness challenges in which it took part Friday. The maximum number of points available was 300. On the team were Brett Rigi, a junior at Leroy, Cody McGeer, a Warsaw freshman, Pavilion sophomore David Jones, Bianca Gregory, a Leroy freshman, Pavilion senior Tyler Allwart, and Batavia freshman Braden Laza. We will try to incorporate all the pitch ideas into the marketing of the Western New York Tech Academy. This group suggested business-sized cards that have the QR code to our website, said Tech Academy Principal Catherine Bennett. It offers the students the chance to network and recruit amongst their peers. Part of their pitch was everyone has a pocket, so networking cards can be shared easily and frequently, she said. We will have cards created and shared with the students to hand out to their friends or to distribute at open houses. Einstein Day is typically once a month, but because March is a long month in schools, there were two, Bennett said. March 10th was our first, part one of two, when they started their preparations for their pitches. This past Friday being the culmination of their hard work, she said. The pitches by the six teams were five to eight minutes long. They were made to a panel of qualified judges. While one team was making its pitch, the rest of the teams were participating in a March Madness competition, competing in various games, puzzles, and problems throughout our wing, earning points to supplement their pitch scores. Our first March Einstein Day, the students were given all the research materials, everything about Western New York Tech Academy that we could provide for them or they could find, either online or pamphlets and brochures, everything we have. They did some research and the teams all came up with a unique marketing idea on how we could market the Tech Academy, said Bennett. Among the groups was one that included Tech Academy students Avon Central School senior Ben Terramino, Caledonia Mumford senior David Tetralt, Geneseo freshman Cameron Canoxio, Byron Burgeon sophomore Jeremiah Cicitelli, and Batavia freshman Kendra Sanders. Our recruitment plan is to be able to visit every school and give a detailed presentation on what the days at Western New York Tech Academy are going to be like, Terramino said during the group's presentation to judges. We want to be the ones controlling the message. We don't want to go there and have them tell us we have to say this or we have to say that. Our presentation is going to include students working on projects, teachers helping our students out, and all the available pathways that we have through our program. They would market the Tech Academy to 8th and 9th graders, but would accept sophomores through seniors who want to see the Academy, the team member said. A student would need to have consent from a parent to see the Tech Academy. The student makes the final decision when it comes to analyzing the information given, the group said. The idea of a stable job out of high school is very enticing. Tetralt said people will no longer hear, back in my day, with this Tech Academy, it's all going to be modern. It's all going to be new, he said. Kids are going to love it because that's all we really care for. Tetralt said the recruitment program they created would be engaging, just as the Einstein Day presentation he and fellow team members were doing Friday was fun. We focus toward younger kids so they can get more of a developed experience than being 10 to 12, sophomore through senior, he said. We still take 10th through 12th graders in this program, but they're going to take a little bit more time and effort to go through the whole program and get it done. Afterward, the group said it had about three hours to create its project and about 10 minutes for rehearsal before making the pitch. Terramino said they came up with their pitch based on personal experiences on how they joined the Tech Academy. Tetralt said all six groups had to represent the Academy in some way. 
With this team, we did a remarkable amount of work in very little time. We were able to talk to each other and split between roles, Tetralt said. Batavia Lions Club aims for bike program. As the Batavia Lions Club continues to move past the COVID-19 pandemic, its members said they are reconnecting with its partners from past projects. For many years, the Lions Club has been working with the Batavia Police Department and Adam Miller Toys to refurbish bikes that have been recovered by the police and get them in the hands of children and adults who can use them. To that end, Detectives James DeFries and Matthew Wojtasizic visited the club to review how bikes might be recovered and be eligible for donation. Many bikes are recovered each year that are damaged beyond repair and disposed of. If owners can be found for the usable bikes, they will be returned. If there is no way to determine ownership, they can be donated to an organization such as the Lions Club. In past years, those bikes have been refurbished and distributed to organizations such as the Salvation Army and ARC. The detectives encourage people to register their bikes with city police, so if they are recovered, they can be returned to the owner. Club members said they look forward to reestablishing the bike program and working with city police to serve the community. You've been listening to a reading of articles and features from the April 4th through 6th issues of the Batavia Daily News. Your reader has been Chris. Thank you for listening.